the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. This has been really remarkable to me. It was unexpected in that there are so many talented attorneys that are looking to practice law differently, whether because they're staying at home with kids, whether they're staying at home with parents, military spouses who really struggle to keep full-time employment because they're constantly moving, retirees who want to do a little bit of work because they still like it, but also want to golf most of the day. And big law refugees, we're seeing more and more of those as they're churning out and folks aren't aren't, uh, moving up the partnership track in the way that they used to 20 years ago. So we have this really vast pool of freelance attorneys who are looking to do work on their own terms. Run your law firm the right way. way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Hello, Tyson. Ken and I were disappointed to miss you last week at our walkthrough of the location where we're going to be having our conference next year. I think the people are going to be really excited about Del Mar Hall. I think we gave them a little sneak peek as to what the venue looks like i mean the audio and the lights in that place it's just it's really really a cool spot i mean it's you know we we were working around some musicians who were setting up for a show that night so it's a a place that's that's generally built for music shows but i think that it's going to be perfect for our audience and i think people are really going to like it at the conference this year yeah, I think if you liked the conference last year, you're hopefully going to be blown away. And I don't, I guess I don't want to oversell it and then underperform during the conference, but I'm pretty excited. And I'm pretty sure we're going to exceed expectations from last year, especially. I think it's Demar Hall by itself is going to be amazing, but our speaker lineup is amazing this year. It was amazing last year, but I think we've outdone ourselves this year. What we have scheduled in between, it's just going to be a lot of fun. I think people are going to have a lot of fun and then also learn a bunch too. Yeah, and it was fun today. We got word that we sold our 100th ticket, which is pretty amazing, seeing as we sold 70 total last year, and we're still about three months out from the event, so that's pretty exciting. It's different. We've got sponsors this year. We didn't really go for sponsors last year. This year, we have sponsors. I mean, we, we've booked all of our sponsors. We can't really... We people actually have people reaching out to us that we're turning away. I haven't even told you that yet. We've had multiple people this week ask to sponsor, and we, we just don't have room. We don't have room for sponsors, so... We're out of booths. If you want to sponsor other stuff, we can get creative, and that's what I've been trying to do is get creative with some other things. So, for example, like sponsor a happy hour or something like that. We can work that in, but 
for the most, we're out of booth space. So if you want a booth, it's not going to happen. So pretty exciting. You want to introduce our guest? I don't want to keep her waiting too long. I'm very excited. We have made her wait too long. Her name is Talitha Gray Kozlowski. She's a bankruptcy lawyer in Las Vegas. And we're going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about an interesting company that she has built from scratch. And we have a lot of entrepreneurial lawyer types in our group. I think everyone's really going to like hearing from her. I met her at Mike Whalen's Lawyer Forward Conference just a couple weeks ago. And I immediately thought she'd be a great guest for the show. So thanks for coming on, Talitha. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Big fan of the podcast. So, Talitha, I actually registered this morning, or I guess it was more this afternoon, for lawclerk.legal. I'm still going through it. I need to upload my ID and all that. Talk about what it is and what you do and how you got to the point of, of wanting to do this. Wow. Um, so, Law Clerk is a marketplace that connects busy attorneys uh, with freelance attorneys. We have over 1,400 freelance attorneys today. Our freelance attorneys do all of the written work, so memos, motions, pleadings, contracts, agreements, any written work that you need to be done. It was developed to really help solo and small firms to really elevate the practice of law, to provide access to specialization, and to help us all provide better work product to our clients at lower costs, and importantly for all of us on the business side, increasing profits. How did we get there? So I started at a large, relatively large on the West Coast anyway, uh, firm, six offices, as well as an office in D.C. that did lobbying. And what we were seeing is that, and it's no surprise, the, the legal business model is simply broken. And as my partners and I were looking at what's happening in the legal market and what makes business sense and um, how we could all improve the quality of the practice of law and our lives and work a little bit less, nine of us broke off and opened our own small shop in Las Vegas. So that was in 2015. And we are specializing in a couple distinct areas of law instead of trying to be everything to everybody. And our objective is really to be the best at what we do um, and to, to better serve our clients. And we absolutely love being a small firm for all the reasons everybody knows. Certainly the autonomy, flexibility, ability to, to better serve your clients in a lot of respects. But we were missing a couple critical pieces. We were missing, so I'm a corporate bankruptcy attorney. Gaming issues come up, for instance. I certainly have the ability to figure out the gaming issue, but it was a heck of a lot easier when I could walk down the hall and talk to one of my partners who specialized in gaming. So we missed the expertise of additional areas of law. We additionally missed, as we sort of geared up for trial or we had that big case come in, the additional sets of hands to just help with um, getting cases prepped for bankruptcy, getting cases prepped for trial. And we started thinking about how we, how we solve that problem without stepping back into being a bigger firm, which is, is something we, we weren't interested in doing. And it was out of that that really this idea of law clerk came about, this idea that we should be able to be small firms. We should be able to specialize and have the quality of life, the business we want, but also the ability to take on bigger cases, the ability to grow practices and to have access to this huge talent of other attorneys that are out there. And that's where Law Clerk grew out of. And so what was it that you think is in your background that made you want to be an entrepreneur to sort of move a little bit away from the day-to-day -day practice of law and to sort of try to grow something else. 
Um, you know, I think corporate bankruptcy is a unique practice in that it's certainly very, you know, technical legal issues that you're dealing with. You're also, particularly on the debtor side, which is the side I'm on, more often than not, you're helping companies rethink about their business, how to improve their business, how you know to restructure the debt and then move forward and maintain their companies. And so I think you know I spent 15 years sort of with that mindset, and so I think the entrepreneurial spirit kind of grows out of that because that that is what I love about my practice area is that helping companies figure out how to maintain their businesses is. What makes me get out of bed and do the do the practice in the morning, and so there's three co-founders, um, and two of us come from that same background, and then one other co-founder from a, a states and trust background. But I do think spending so many years focused on thinking about how business how businesses can improve really helped shape my my interest in looking at the problem we were facing and how we can solve it and how we can hopefully improve other attorneys' lives as well. Talitha, a lot of people have partners or they've tried having partners and, and, and it can be challenging at times. So what what is it about having your partners? Like, What do you all do that you think makes it work and makes it where you all can actually gel? Because it doesn't work for everybody. So what do you think that you all do that's unique maybe that makes it work? So the nine partners have practiced together for a long time. And I think the one thing that I think our group has that is – super simple, but I think uncommon, is a really strong mutual respect for one another and also a willingness to, everybody's willing to advocate for their position, but not to the detriment of the whole. And so I think we have really good communication and I think we have really good mutual respect for one another. And those are less common, I think, attributes than I appreciated early in my career. Let's talk about how law clerk works. So let's say that you're an immigration lawyer in St. Louis and you have a person who's facing deportation for a crime that was committed, say they got caught with a big bag of weed, like a, a garbage bag full of weed in Washington state, and you wanted to have someone from Law Clerk sort of research the immigration consequences of that conviction. Let's say I've gone ahead and registered like Tyson did today for an account with Law Clerk, and as I did back when we met, what's the process for from the lawyer side of sort of doling out that assignment and what security checks do you have and things like that. Talitha, before you answer this, real quick, Jim, are you asking for a friend? I'm just curious. I am, I'm asking for a friend, yes. Okay, I guess. Okay, I guess. Sorry, Talitha, go ahead. <laughs> so the way the platform works, we've tried to make it uh, as user-friendly as possible. Attorney's time is their most critical uh, resource, and so have tried to make it, it, it really user-friendly. So. To post a project, I need research on the implications of a bag of weed in in Washington. Um, you set your application period, so that's how long the freelance attorneys have to apply to you. You set the flat fee price you want to pay for the project, so you're you're controlling the ultimate cost. You set when you want your initial draft, and I highly recommend everybody always get an initial draft. You set the deadline for your final draft. You set the area of law, and you put in a general description of what you're looking for without any confidential information. You hit post. I've done it from the gym in the morning getting when I had an unexpected meeting at 1 p.m., um, and thankfully somebody was up bright and early on the East Coast and helped me out. So really, really easy to get it posted. Once you post, you then put in your conflict information, so your client's name, adverse parties, et cetera. 
That information is then held um, on the site securely. The freelance attorneys see the post you put together. So it's a, a really finite amount of information. It goes out to the freelance attorneys. If they're interested in doing the project for the price you've set, they apply to you. And so when they apply to you, you get their bios, which include their resume, their writing sample, as well as if they've done work on law clerk before, how other attorneys have rated them and general comments. So you have all that at your disposal. You review the resumes, decide whom it is that you want to work with. You select that person. And when you select that person, they are then provided with the conflict information. So again, only the person that you want to work with sees who the client is. They then confirm that they don't have any conflicts. They confirm that they're going to comply with the conflicts law in, in your state. Um, they then sign an NDA and confidentiality agreement for every single project. And once they do that, we then provide you with a secure communication portal. So it's sort of like Slack, very similar to that, a document repository to share documents back and forth all of which is secure and encrypted, um, and only you and the freelance attorney that you're working with have access to. And you can communicate that way. We also give you their email and phone number, so if it's easier for you just to pick up the phone and talk, then we encourage you to communicate in the most effective way for you. The way the, the payment works is that when you select a freelancer, so you can post a project without any charge. When you select a freelancer, your credit card is charged the flat fee price you've set, it's held in escrow until you accept the work product. So your your freelancer in Washington is going to send you this fantastic memo all about marijuana and immigration. And when they send that to you, um, they send that to you. They also send to you their time card so that you can, if you choose to bill it back to your clients at reasonable market rates, which is the... Uh, U.S. Supreme Court's uh, key phrase, you can do so, but they provide you their time card and the product. And if you're like, this is, in fact, the absolute best memo ever, you hit accept. If you're like, hey, you know, I, I'd like you, you brought up this other great issue. I think you probably need to look at this, too. You make those comments, send it back and, and work with it just like you would an associate in your office. But when you accept the work product, that's when payment is tendered and you both are hopefully very happy. So I'm really curious, just in whenever you decided to start doing this and marketing it, how did you get this thing off the ground? Because this is way different than what most law firms or people are doing in general. And so how did you, how were you able to get this thing off the ground and, and get lawyers to one, trust the lawyers you were putting into the system to do the work? And how were you able to get the lawyers into the system to actually do the work? Very good question. So it's not like selling widgets, right? Where you're, you go get the order and then you, and then you get manufacture 20 widgets. Marketplaces are delicate and that you have to balance both sides. So we started internally baby testing in, in Nevada with friends and family. Thankfully, since all founders are uh, attorneys, we have a pretty good network of folks. And we started bringing on people that we knew to start testing it out and working through it. And then we just started doing some marketing. So CLEs, we started doing trade shows, podcasts, webinars, other things like that to spread the word. And it certainly was slow going at first as far as getting uh, attorneys to rethink about how they're practicing law and start signing up. But what we found is that 
Once an attorney posts one project, they are highly, highly likely to post multiple projects because they begin to see the value. It, it's a great way to, to get work done. It's a great way to get some specialization and to increase profits. And so that's been the, I guess the, the ball is spinning now in that our biggest lead source currently are referrals from our current users as they're coming on the site, having a great results and, and work product, they're starting to refer friends on to use it. So we're, we're getting, a, I think, a positive buzz. On the freelance side, it is, this has been really remarkable to me. It was unexpected in that there are so many talented attorneys that are looking to practice law differently, whether because they're staying at home with kids, whether they're staying at home with parents, military spouses, there's a vast uh, number of military spouses who really struggle to keep full-time employment because they're constantly moving, retirees who want to do a little bit of work because they still like it, but also want to golf most of the day, and big law refugees, we're seeing more and more of those as they're churning out and folks aren't, aren't uh, moving up the partnership track in the way that they used to 20 years ago. So we have this really vast pool of freelance attorneys who are looking to do work on their own terms. And we like to say they're they're sort of fall from the sky because I think our platform offers offers them that flexibility to practice law in a way that makes sense for their lives and their very unique situations. And so We've been, I think, just incredibly fortunate in that we haven't had to really go search for those folks. They've found us more often than not and and often on a referral. So that's been, I think, maybe most surprising to me is just how voluminous that pool of talented attorneys that want to do freelance work really is. We're getting lots of great questions and comments. Mike Whalen said he was going to only post snark during our interview, but he's actually <laughs> posted a nice comment. He said, a law clerk is working on a brief for me right now giving me time to listen to this call, hashtag meta. But we also have a question from Jonathan Udoka, and he asked, is there data on how the job posting attorney bills the client for the law clerk, like an average upcharge percentage-wise or dollar-wise? So I don't have um, I don't have that. I do know what some folks do. So the the key phrase is reasonable market rate. It obviously depends on where you are. You know, if you're in California, reasonable market rate is very different than Nevada, which is very different than Wyoming. I've heard from some of our attorneys using freelancers that they do anywhere from a 25 to a 50 percent markup. What we had suggested at Law Clerk is, you know, the old business model was one-third for the freelance attorney, one-third for profit, one-third for overhead. So, you know, anywhere between, you know, up to 60% arguably fits within the old model of how attorneys build out associates. So I know that's not super specific, but in my own practice, I tend to build out my freelancers somewhere towards the low end of my, like my, the couple associates I have between a paralegal and an associate which is still a big profit for me, but also a great value for my clients. So I'm lowering the cost of the legal service without hurting my profit. I just uh, sent in my ID so I can finish my, <laughs> my registration. So, you rock. Um, this is pretty, this is kind of cool. So there's another question. It's from Nick Rishwain. And the question in general is, who's your target market? So are you targeting big law, solos, small firms? Who's your target? Our target market is solo and small attorneys. Big law, numerous things. First of all, they tend to already have an oversupply of attorneys that they're struggling to feed. But second of all, really the, the 
when we moved to a smaller shop, we became, you know, very aware of the fact that solo and small firms are really underserved generally by the legal market, by legal tech, and that really these are the folks that can benefit the most by having periodic help as we all go through the, you know, the peaks and valleys of the practice of law. So when we were in Austin, you gave some interesting use cases. I remember you talked about uh, one lawyer in particular who hired one law clerk to write a brief, and then they took that brief and had another law clerk write the opposition to that so as to help the attorney be ready for oral argument of the of the issue. Can you talk about that or maybe some other interesting use scenarios that you've seen? Yeah, we've seen, so you obviously have all of your sort of staples, your brief writing, your agreements, contracts, but the things that sort of shocked me and I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? Were for that example, for instance, we have one attorney who will post the motion, have somebody draft the opposition and then post both back out to the marketplace and say, I need somebody to review these and tell me who you think wins and why. So they're getting critical feedback on the briefs which I just, I think is really a a clever way to prepare for oral argument. We've seen attorneys post a project saying, hey, I need a phone consult. I'm um, an employment law attorney in Kansas. I have a client who has an employment law issue in Texas. I believe I know the answer, but I just need to bounce it off somebody in Texas. You know, I need 25 minutes to talk to somebody with that expertise. On the discovery front, which is always just such a huge time suck, what I thought was really interesting is we had one attorney who would get the numerous interrogatories from the opposing counsel, send them off to the client to fill out, which usually comes with a lot of superfluous information, and then would post the project saying, I need somebody to frame these up with the appropriate objections and to to clean them up and, and make them, in fact, responsive to the requests. And I just thought that was a, a great way to get through discovery in a cost-effective manner. So I thought that was really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. That's actually really good. Uh, I may actually do that because something I hate doing is, I think most of us hate doing is discovery. I hate responding to it. It's really annoying. Mike Whalen has a good question. Talk about the ethics issues, why you use the term clerk, and how you can bill above these costs as opposed to calling them expenses. Okay, perfect. So all of our freelance attorneys work in a paraprofessional capacity. So the model rules, both 5.3 and 5.5, say that you can utilize paraprofessionals to provide work for you as long as they're doing so under your supervision. And so all of our freelance attorneys only do the written work. So they don't go to court. They don't talk to opposing counsel. They don't give the advice to the client. They're working effectively as a glorified paralegal. So you have this just incredible wealth of expertise available to you. And that's important so that you're able to utilize folks from outside of just your jurisdiction. So in, you know, Jim's scenario allows you to go and get somebody from Washington to provide the research who is probably more adept at that analysis than you are and who has a specialty in that area to assist you uh, without running into the buzzsaw of the unauthorized practice of law. This was really something we spent considerable time working through and, and what I think makes law clerk very special. There's certainly freelancing is not a novel idea, but what we really did was was spend a lot of time to make sure it is compliant with all 50 states ethical rules. So 
again, you're you're totally safe on the unauthorized practice of law issues because of these these constraints that we've put on them. And again, it, it, then it gives you the ability to have incredible specialization from various jurisdictions assisting you. The other thing is that the Supreme Court, the ABA ethics committees and ethics panels across the country have said that it, you are able to upcharge for the contract paralegal work, for freelance attorney work, for contract attorney work, as long as you're doing so at reasonable market rates. There are a few states, Texas requires you to disclose to your, to your client that you're using a contract attorney, but as long as you are billing them out as a service, so versus a cost. So an expert you may push through as a cost. That's distinct. You can't, you can't upcharge those. But as long as you're billing your freelance attorneys out as a service at an hourly rate, you can mark them up just like you would an associate, which is really important because simply because you're rethinking and being more modernizing how you're utilizing other attorneys shouldn't preclude at the end of the day the ability to run a business because if we we all need to make some sort of profit in um in order to continue in business here so i'm thinking about the 80 20 rule and i'm imagining that there's some people like you said who use it very very often and i'm imagining that's probably true for the lawyers doing the research on the research side have you had any interesting success stories of lawyers who are working for you who are who the actual law clerks like like things that have interesting things that have happened from their perspective i think at least on the warm and fuzzy um and from our perspective has been uh, the military spouses and um, we've we've had a number of military spouses that have done a fair amount of work through the site and the feedback has been you know the they had been unable to find work because they had been moving with with such frequency or the ability to get barred over and over or that they were doing really work that was below their sophistication level um, just to simply get a, a part-time job. And so that, I think, has been really neat, this, this idea that we're able to provide a, a mechanism for these super talented military spouses to, to find meaningful employment and, and employment that puts to use really their, their skill set at a level that they deserve. So Stephen Lefkoff asks, is there a loss of efficiency in having a clerk that historically has practiced law in a different state? How often do, you, do the freelance attorneys have to get up to speed on that jurisdiction's rules, law, precedent, etc.? So I think it depends on the, the type of work you're doing. So my practice is a federal practice. So being barred in Nevada does not in any way, shape or form help me um, as far as my use of freelance attorneys. So if you have a federal practice, certainly I think the, the, you don't run into those issues. I think the, to the extent that you need or find efficiency in having somebody in your jurisdiction, I think you know, we generally have a, a pretty significant pool of freelance attorneys so that if you want somebody, you know, within Missouri to provide services to you, I think you you will be able to find those freelance attorneys. So while we focus on and, and we emphasize that you're not bound by your jurisdiction to the extent that you only want to work with someone in your jurisdiction and, and some folks do, you certainly have that ability as well. All right. So for my last question, since this has started to grow and you're going around to shows like Lawyer Forward and Clio and those kinds of things, how are you, Talitha, as a lawyer, balancing running your practice and building 
uh, side business. So I gave up sleeping. Um, no, I just, excuse me. So I, I've scaled back my practice a little bit so that I can spend more time focused on law clerk. But I, it really takes a fair amount of planning um, as far as just trying to schedule out what I'm going to accomplish for the week, for each day, for my firm and for my practice, and then for law clerk. Sometimes I'm successful at it. Sometimes um, I'm finishing it up with a glass of wine at the dinner table at, at 9 p.m. So strive for balance, but I, I certainly won't say I've achieved it. So I definitely have more questions, and Mike Whelan has a question, but I'm going to wrap things up. And if anyone else has other questions, reach out to Talitha. We'll let you leave your information at the end of this. Before I wrap up, I want to remind everyone to, if you're listening to this, go to the Facebook group and join. If you're watching this outside of the Facebook group, join the Facebook group if you're a lawyer. Um, you get to hear from people just like Talitha and other very smart people that share a lot of the great information. Also, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It really does help. Jimmy, what's your tip of the week? Well, first of all, let me say that you're really getting good as an announcer, Tyson. You sounded just like someone from the PBS Pledge Drive um, when you said people just like Talitha. That was pretty cool and pretty slick. Right, baby. My hack of the week is another book from our friend Mark Schaefer. Our friend Mitch Jackson tuned me into Mark Schaefer a while back. He has a new book out, which I'm listening to on audio, and it's called Marketing Rebellion. And it's really interesting. It's really sort of a backlash against... A lot of the stuff that we talk about as far as automation, overkill, sort of people forgetting bread and butter marketing principles and instead just focusing on tactics. I think it's a, it's a really interesting book that will resonate with a lot of the people in our group because I think we have a pretty sophisticated group. But I think it's also sort of an invitation to relook at what we're doing on a marketing perspective from a human and recipient-based approach as opposed to running people through the gauntlet and doing all this stuff. You know, we were all sort of mocking that lawyer marketing kid that I found on Facebook yesterday for all of his antics. But I really think that there's probably going to be a swing back, and Mark sort of prophesizing that, a swing back towards a little more human and one-on-one -on -one interaction as we see this technology just marching forward. So I think that you are combining the two, and you're saying that the automation, I think you're explaining automation the way most people think of automation, and they're, and you're not thinking about automation the way people should be thinking about automation, and that's to increase those touches, increasing how much the client, you get to interact with the client and all that. So I think that I sort of disagree with the way you explain that. Maybe the book puts it a different light, but... Check it out. Uh, we, we, we can talk about that in another day. All right, so Talitha, about 30 minutes ago, Jim told you that we were going to ask you to give a tip or hack of the week. So hopefully you've got one. Do you have a tip or hack for us? So my, my tip is probably a, maybe a little – will come off a little lofty, but my best tip is find what you like to do. Find what you like in your practice and focus your time and energy on that and find ways to get the rest of it off your plate, whether it's outsourcing your admin, whether it's outsourcing work to freelancers, but focus on what you like to do and you will improve your life, you will improve your happiness and you'll improve your practice. This is perfect because my tip of the week relates to that a lot. So my tip is this, because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, because I've been thinking about my 12-week goals and what I want to do. And I, I was also like thinking about the things, like, what, what are the things I need to remove from my life? And so um, it, my tip is really, really related to yours. So 
Think about the things that are making that make you mad each day, or that make you upset, make you sad, whatever it may be. And and over the next couple of weeks, just remove one thing at a time, and, and see how your life improves, and see see how your life can. And if, let's say let's say you've got someone that is making you mad, remove them from your life. You don't have to deal with people that you don't like every single day. So think about it from that perspective. Choose one thing or one person to remove that's a negative. Uh, influence on you and remove from your life. So, all right. So Talitha Singh, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate this. I learned a lot. This is really cool. Thank you so much, but also tell people how they can get a hold of you. I'm at lawclerk.legal. So not.com dot legal and all of our contact information is on there. So look forward to talking with anyone. My email is also tgray, G-R-A-Y, at lawclerk.legal. And again, happy to chat with anybody by email, phone, and answer any questions. I'm going to send up my first project. I already know what it is. It's actually that bag of pot. I'm sending it in right now. Awesome. That's great. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.